Uh, I have been um, interested in the subject of genealogy for some time, and lately I've been really getting into it. Um, I just find it to be a very interesting subject. A lot of people may think it's boring, but uh, I think it's fascinating. Um, I'm I continually amazed by the idea that you know those people got those two people got together in the 16th century, and if it wasn't for those two people getting together, I wouldn't be here. And you know, you start thinking like that, you're like wow. And to me, you know, as you uncover your genealogy, it's a little bit like you know doing detective work, and you get another clue and another clue, and and it's really kind of fun. And what's fun is not just to learn who they, you know, their names and their dates, but uh, also to hear to read their stories. And in some cases, there are stories to be learned. They become part of your family history. And there's something about genealogy that helps root me in this world. And uh, so I, I find it to be interesting and, uh, and important for me to do. And uh, things have really changed in the study of genealogy. I mean, in the old days, before the internet, I mean, there was a lot of legwork. You'd have to go to graveyards, and you'd have to go to courthouses and libraries. You'd have to go to Salt Lake City. And, uh, and now, you know, it's all online. So much of it is online. Uh, and, you know, you go to one of these genealogy websites like Ancestry.com, and it really is amazing what you can uncover. Uh, just the other day, I found my grandfather's World War I draft registration card and found a passenger list that my grandparents were on uh, on a cruise to Hawaii in 1959. I mean, you know, their names are all written there, and... You know, it's, it's really, really a fun thing. Uh, and, you know, it's especially hard. You, you, get, you, you, you go through your line, and then you get these blocks, right? And uh, you have to pursue the blocks. And I just want you to know how difficult it would be to follow the Smith family line. I just want you to know. <laughs> Do you realize how difficult that is? I mean, I had the most trouble with the Smiths. And, of course, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve Smith. Uh, do you know we were all Smiths at one time? That's why there are so many still today. However, there was a period in Israel's history. It actually says this in Isaiah. There were no Smiths in the land. Look it up. It's in Isaiah. I can hardly believe that. Where were they? I don't know. So um, maybe it's my interest of genealogy which caught my eye and, and made me look at uh, the genealogy of Jesus, which we find in uh, the Gospel of Matthew and also in, um, in Luke. Uh, but let's look at this one in, in Matthew. Um, and uh, now this is going to be a bit of a challenge for me and, uh, because I have to pronounce these names, and it's going to be a challenge for you because you have to listen. Um, but there's, a, there's a, a meaning here that, that we need to get at. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. I believe this guy is related to Jesus. I don't know. 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. And Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And uh, thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, 14 from the exile to the Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I readily admit that this is not the most scintillating part of Scripture. We usually skip over all the genealogies and the begats to get at the meat of the story. And it may not seem all that important to us. In fact, it may seem downright boring. But to Matthew's Jewish audience, his genealogy was all important, mattered a great deal. For the tracing of his family line established his identity and status as a member of God's chosen people. Genealogies mattered to the Jewish people. Matthew makes a case for Jesus' Messiahship by tracing his family line through King David and beyond that to Abraham in fulfillment of ancient prophecy. Without a proper genealogy, Jesus wouldn't have had any credibility with his own people. They wouldn't have given him the time of day. So this genealogy is more important than we realize. Actually, it was important not just to the Jews back then, but it's, it's important to us today. Because from this genealogy, uh, well, this genealogy yields certain observations and uh, lessons. We would expect, of course, that the Messiah would have an excellent pedigree, that he would be of no, noble heritage. And there are certainly some great names in Jesus' family tree. We find Abraham, the father of faith, the father of the Jewish people. We have Isaac and Jacob, uh, the, the great patriarchs. 
We have King David, the greatest king in all of Israel's history. And, of course, there's King Solomon, who was known for his wealth and for his wisdom. There are some very distinguished people here in this genealogical list. But look who else is in Jesus' family tree, according to Matthew. Five women, if you can believe that. Five women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, that would be Bathsheba, and Mary. Now, this is very unusual in itself, for in those days, Jewish genealogies usually didn't list women. It was just the men. And as you know, back then, it was a very patriarchal society. Women just uh, didn't count so much, I guess. But not only are women listed, which would be a bit of a scandal, but, they're, they, but two of them are not even Jewish. And that is a big deal. For a major purpose of a genealogy is to establish the purity of your bloodline. Rahab was a woman of Jericho and ran a house of ill repute, if you can believe that. Ruth was a woman of Moab and as such was under a special curse. For the Old Testament law laid down the rule, no Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation none belonging to them shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. It seems that the Moabites were very inhospitable to the Jewish people at a, at a, in their critical need, and uh, so uh, the Jews never forgot that, and uh, so they were uh, treated as, as outcasts, essentially. They were a foreign and despised people. The Moabites were uh, not the kind of people Jews would want to associate with. So you have Rahab, you have Ruth, foreign women, non-Jewish. And then there was Tamar, who deliberately tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her. And Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who committed adultery with David. And then there was Mary, a peasant girl who was involved in a seemingly illicit pregnancy. But here now is the most amazing thing. These questionable women were the ancestors of Jesus Christ. Jesus has prostitutes and adulterers and Gentiles, non-Jews, in his family background. That is a shocking thing. Now, many of us undoubtedly have some uh, questionable characters in our family tree. For every saint, there are probably like five sinners. I think every family has a horse thief or two, right? And we would rather not talk about them, those black sheep. We may even want to keep them off of our list. Matthew couldn't have come up with a worse list for inclusion in the Messiah's family tree if he tried. And yet here they are for all to see. Matthew's honesty is commendable. Now take a look at some of the men also listed, for sin is not limited to the women. There is Judah, who was involved in sexual immorality with his daughter-in-law, compromising his integrity. 
There is Rehoboam, a king, who called upon the Lord only when he was in trouble and did evil the rest of the time. There's King Jeroboam, whose sins piled up one after another. There is Manasseh, the worst of the worst, the worst king ever, who sacrificed his own son to a pagan god and willfully led people into sin. Ammon, Manasseh's son, was another king who also, to quote scripture, did evil in the sight of the Lord and who did not humble himself before the Lord such that he multiplied his guilt. And his sin eventually led to his death by murder. So on and on it goes. Even those great names that are mentioned in the list were not exactly saints. Abraham selfishly lied to save his own skin. David was an adulterer and arranged to have his lover's husband killed at the battlefront so that blood was on his hands. Solomon, who was known for his great wisdom, lost it and was overcome by women and by possessions. So it seems that Jesus' family tree was composed of a bunch of shady characters who did a lot of evil things. They were more sinners than saints. In some cases, they were spectacularly sinful. His family tree is a veritable rogues gallery. Now, if I was putting together a presentable genealogy to establish my credentials as a leader, I would think uh, that I would leave a lot of these folks off the list altogether, if I could. So, what are you and I to make of this scandalous genealogy, this scandalous family tree? Why would Matthew include it at the very beginning of his gospel? Could it be that enlisting all of these names, sinners one and all, and ending with Jesus, who is called the Christ, the Messiah, is to say to us that Jesus came through sinners to save sinners? Could it be that Matthew's purpose for writing this gospel is to proclaim the Messiah's mercy to sinners like David and Rahab to sinners like you and me? Jesus came to save the kind of people that are in Jesus' family tree. He came through sinners, for sinners, to reconcile them to God. He came for women as well as for men, for Gentiles as well as for Jews. He came for us all. Jesus came for people like Judah and Solomon and Tamar and Bathsheba, and for people like you and me with all of our faults, with all of our failures, our moral failures, our shortcomings, our blind spots, to bring forgiveness and the possibility of new life in harmony with God. Out of love for you and for me, God came to earth in Jesus, the one who knew no sin, took our sin upon himself and died for us upon the cross. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, exclaims Paul, so that we might be at one with God again. 
so that we might walk with God again as Adam and Eve once walked with God in paradise. And so let's ponder anew not only the meaning of a manger, which we did on Christmas Eve, but the meaning of the cross. The manger and the cross always go together. For Jesus was born to die. During this Advent and Christmas season, we've made the journey to the manger, and before too long, before we know it, we'll be making the journey to Golgotha, and we'll again reflect upon the suffering of the Messiah, his death for you and me upon the cross. And at the foot of the cross, all is level ground. There is no one who is righteous, no, not one. Without him, without his coming into the world, you and I would be poor and helpless and lost in our sins. But unto us is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he saved us by going to the cross therefore making possible forgiveness, new life, eternal life. The amazing thing is that you and I are the recipients of the Messiah's mercy and grace, his unconditional love and acceptance. Jesus never says to you and to me, first clean up your act, get rid of your sin, and then I'll love you. And then I'll make my home in you. He never says that to us. First, clean up your act. Get your life together. But instead, he comes to us and he says, you know, I love you just as you are. You are valued by me. And it's because I love you that I'm going to show you a better way to live. Receive my forgiveness and begin again by following me. I'll show you how. I'll change you from the inside out. Open your hearts to me. I love you this much. More than anything at Christmas... We celebrate the birth of a Savior. They shall call his name Jesus, for, they, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus it's actually was a very common name in those days. It's actually is a common name now. The name Jesus is a form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which literally means salvation. His name is his job description. His name is his mission. Someone has put it this way. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been self-esteem, then God would have sent us a motivational speaker. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, 
So God sent us a Savior. How amazing is it that God literally moved heaven and earth to save the likes of you and me, the kind of people in Jesus' family tree. I've always read this particular passage with amazement, this passage in in Philippians. Listen to the Apostle Paul with reference to Jesus. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You know, there are lots of names on various genealogical lists, but there is none greater than the name of Jesus. So let us receive his love, accept his forgiveness, and give ourselves totally to him, for he gave his all to us. To do so is to receive the greatest gift of all. Let's pray together. Lord, we're not worthy to come into your presence this morning. As uh, Greg and AJ sang, you are holy. You are pure. And Lord, we know that we are not. We have failed you in many ways. Lots of blind spots in our character. Things that we've done that that we are ashamed of. Things that we should have done but didn't do, and that causes guilt. But Lord, thank you for forgiving us, for giving us freedom to live a new kind of life, lived in harmony with you and with those around around us. And you made it all possible by coming to us in that child found in a manger and in that man who gave his life for us upon the cross. What amazing love. Thank you, Lord for taking our sin upon yourself, you who knew no sin, that we might be free, truly free. To you be all praise and glory. In the name of Jesus, the name above every name. Amen.